As an Alliant Energy representative, I really enjoy helping businesses save. Today, I visited a business that asked for a free energy audit. After walking through their facility, I let the customers know how much money and energy they could be saving. Plus, I gave them an action plan detailing how to improve their energy efficiency. I showed them how they could save even more with rebates from Alliant Energy on equipment upgrades. If you are interested in saving energy and money, schedule a free energy audit at AlliantEnergy.com slash energy audit. You're invited to take a vacation from everybody else's vacation to a place where you can explore cypress swamps and magical gardens and see a 65-foot waterfall that once powered an old mill that you can walk through today or just float along the cool, rushing waters of an old-fashioned swimming hole. See the places and plan your journey at visitmississippi.org slash outdoor adventure. Mississippi, wanderers welcome. You are listening to Dove Valley Deep Divers with Eric Trickle and Lance Sanderson. Ball comes out of the hands of Newton. It's on the ground, picked up by T.J. Ward at the four-yard line. Vaughn Miller did it again. On Overtime Media. Good afternoon, good evening, and good morning, I guess, depending on when you're listening to this. And welcome to the Dove Valley Deep Divers. I am your host for the night, Eric Trickle. Normally the co-host, Lance Anderson, taking the night off as he's doing this weird thing like getting married tomorrow or something like that. But uh, joined today by Coach Luke Polglaze, who's going to be, we're going to be talking about, um, we kind of dipped into it a little bit when you were on just a couple weeks ago of Nick Benito, but we're going to be talking about the first four of the Broncos draft picks and going through all that, the wonderful gushiness, get a coach's perspective. But before we get into that, Luke, how are you doing, man? I'm doing great. Thanks for for having me back on. Um, shout out to Lance doing doing the good thing, getting hitched. Um, gotta gotta throw this out there as a D three football coach. I'm I'm repping my belly of the beast shirt here, right here. So um, good to be back, man. Appreciate you having me back two times in a year. I you're gonna get tired of me one of these days. I'm just letting you know now. <laughs> I think uh, I think this ties the current record right now. So we got to get one more at least to break the record, and then we could probably go a couple years without having you on. <laughs> as, as long as you accumulate enough appearances like you, you just be careful what you wish for it's it's like beetlejuice if you say my name too many times i'm just going to pop back in when you least expect it <laughs> all right so before we jump into this we got some matters of business to clean up as always you know this is the dove valley deep divers you can find coach luke poglaze and myself on twitter for me at eric trickle with the el there at the end and then at coach or at Luke Polglaze there that uh, you can see on your screen. You can also find the Dove Valley Deep Divers pod at under, at DVDD underscore pod. That is where you get, um, you can get all the links and catch up on all the latest stuff involving Dove Valley Deep Divers. You can also follow the Mothership account at Mylai Huddle. That's where you get access to every single show, every, all the written content, all, the, all basically everything that we do for with the with Mylai Huddle. And if you want to go and get some awesome clothing or other or a cup or anything else, you can go to huddleuppod.com. That's the merch store. You can go get your swag on and just get all sorts of stuff. Make, they make great gifts. I gave I, my wife has a Dove Valley Deep Diver shirt. Um, unfortunately, I'm not I don't have anything else of any of the shows and I got to fix that. But uh, we'll get that around. Get I'll get around to that eventually. So if you guys can, I mean, it's always appreciated for your guys support through the merch store. And then, of course, you can follow the mylie huddle pod on facebook at facebook.com slash mylie huddle pod and make sure you guys go to apple podcasts and leave your huddle up reviews for all the huddle up podcasts and you guys get a chance to win some swag each month now 
want to say welcome to everybody here in the chat. We have Ernie May saying hello, DVDD. Go Broncos. We have Mike S saying what's up, Broncos country, and Greg Smith. Good evening, Broncos country. Of course, we have Dylan Von Arx in the chat. And this is going to be a fun one. It's going to be a good and interesting show. It's always nice to get a different perspective on players the Broncos draft. I mean, as everybody in the chat knows, if you guys were tuned into us live or even since then, some of us, myself, Nick, Lance, we aren't exactly super high on the class overall but i know that having discussed some things with luke behind the scenes he has a little bit of a different opinion so it's going to be interesting to hear what they are and be able to tell him why he's wrong um so getting into this luke obviously the first one we talked about him a little bit last week he was the first pick for the broncos number 64 overall a guy who i had some current about current concerns about as a run defender um but i mean you you, you there's some ways that you can overcome those issues with him but the biggest thing is, and I, I've, I've said this before, I've kind of come around to the pick because with the 64th overall pick, you're going to have issues with a a, a player, no matter what they are. Um, So go ahead and give us your thoughts on Nick Benito. Yeah, well, I think first and foremost, I think this is something that's very apparent to me after kind of getting out of the media analysis world and, you know, being in college coaching for five years is, I think that coaches and, and scouts see things from a very different perspective. And I think that would make actually a, a really interesting topic for someone much, much smarter than I to dive into at some point. But, you know, I think coaches tend to see players and say, oh, yeah, I look at this guy. I love what he can do. I love all the intangibles. I love the athleticism. And I can see all the ways that I would want to use this guy. Whereas I think a lot of the time scouts and analysts look at a player and say, uh, I'm not sure about this. I'm not sure about that. Like not to say that one is a glass half full, one is a glass half empty, but when you get a coach, like at the end of the day, if you show me a, a guy who can run a, you know, a four, three forty and can jump out of a, a freaking stadium, then I, as a coach say, look, I got to get my hands on this guy. I got to be able to maximize this guy. And, and I think when it comes to Benito, or, sorry, you want to jump in on that and, and tell me? Uh, no, I was actually going to say, is that <laughs> you actually do raise an interesting point. And this is something that I've talked about a, a few times is being on the outside when I don't, I have no clue how they really plan on using Benito. I can look at what, what they're expected to do. Cause it is a new, um, a new defensive coordinator coming in. I can look from the outside in and try to make my, my educated guesses, educated assumptions as to how they're going to use them. But I don't have a clear idea of how that's going to be until he hits the field. And it could be something that is way different, a way to help minimize these concerns that I see because all I have to go off of is what's there on tape. So that's actually a good point that you make there about not just the coaches and the and the scouts, but the media as well. Those on the outside in and how they can evaluate the players. Yeah, and I I almost think with Benito, it's a, it's a case of me kind of seeing what I see and working backwards with it. Like when I look at Benito, first and foremost, I think his best trait is his athleticism. I think he's a very athletic prospect, and I think that puts him in a good position. But kind of like what we talked about last time in terms of how I don't think he can survive if he's asked to play as a five tech, if he's asked to match up consistently on tackles one-on-one -on -one, and how kind of playing that three down messes with an offensive line with their angles. I kind of see him as a, as a prospect who really, I don't know that he can survive in a four down world long-term in the NFL, unless he had some, uh, some real size, unless he had some power. I just don't know if I see that for him. I think he's going to struggle to win one-on-one -on -one consistently. So what does that mean? I think that means he's the, the Broncos kind of see him being more than likely kind of a, a 
like a three down stand-up guy, right? Where he's going to be outside of an end where that's going to improve his angles. It's going to improve, improve how he takes on a block. So for me, when I look at that draft pick, I almost reverse engineer it and say, I don't know what kind of scheme they're going to run at the end of the day, but I don't think they see this guy as being a four down end. I don't think he's going to be able to live in that world. Um, now, again, that doesn't mean that they aren't going to run four down because Von Miller was you know, kind of that tweener coming out of college where he wasn't necessarily a true four down end. Guess what? The Broncos kind of ran that four, three under where they still asked him to do stand up linebacker type things from a nominally four down front where he's not really an end. So, you know, there, there are different ways to kind of play with things, but again, a Benito type and, you know, happy to kind of talk more about him in depth, but for me, just with his athleticism and his skill set, right off the bat, that's something that just like, looks like to me, like, nah, he's probably not a great fit for a four down scheme. Yeah, and we'll come right we'll come right back to that real quick. Just got to say hello to Chase. He's saying Lance, you look different today. Yeah, unfortunately for him, he's getting married tomorrow, and I, I kind of made it so he didn't have the choice. I told him it's like, look, you're getting married on the 28th. You're not appearing on the show on the 27th. He has family and everything, and you know what? Spending time with them, especially in this day and age, far more important. And Travis Weber came in with some stars. Thank you, Travis. Um, we appreciate your support and your consistent support throughout all the shows every single every single day, every single week. We appreciate it. Um, but with Nick Benito talking about the, you know, three down, four down, that's how many down defensive linemen, you know, three, four, four, three. That's what we're talking about there. Basically, the biggest thing is that you're right. He's not he's not going to be a guy who's going to put his hand in the dirt. He's not going to be that four, three end. He, he's going to be a stand up, basically seven technique pass rusher uh, rushing out of that two point stance. They're going to probably line him up, obviously, up on the um, outside of whoever the four I five technique is Draymond Jones or whoever ends up winning the job on the other side of it um, and doing things to help eat up a little bit space and help keep him using where he can use his speed, his bend, his athleticism to get around the corner of the tackles and get after the quarterback. Because as I, if I remember correctly, as you said, he doesn't really have the strength or the power to go through them. And that is something that I saw when I was watching him. He doesn't, he can't go through offensive linemen, but he can go around them. And that leads to another, to another aspect of this, that there's going to be, and we're going to see it, it's becoming a more and more, it's getting bigger in the NFL, getting bigger throughout every level. And that's what? Schemed pressures? That's the term, right? Yeah. Simulated so, pressures? Schemed simulated pressures. pressures. Simulated yeah. pressures. That's the term. Thank you. I've had it in my had it in, uh, at the tip of my tongue and then completely spaced it there at the end. Um, but simulated pressures, I mean, that's going to be something big for the Broncos. And it's just becoming a bigger thing in the NFL. And that is something that Nick Benito can can help with i mean just dude's a freak athlete that's never been or not i wouldn't say freak athlete he's rather athletic he's rather bendy and that's never been a concern of mine it's just always been his strength and ability to hold up against the run so with the issues against the run we talked about this briefly i don't think we got to it in the show but we talked about it before the show about certain aspects with his run defense that you're i wouldn't say how, how would the right term be that you think that he can be fine there, not a, a complete liability. So why don't we go ahead and get into that to try to ease some of the concerns because I know a lot of chat wasn't super high on Benito either. Yeah, I think kind of the big thing with him is you're you're gambling on that athleticism. And, you know, I've I've been out of the the scouting world for a little while, but the one term that kind of translates between both worlds is speed to power, right? You talk about a rusher having the ability to translate speed to power to be honest, like Benito's first step is electric. Like he routinely is across the line of scrimmage when other guys are getting out of their stances. And that is a special, special trait. Um, you know, not only to be, to have the athleticism and the quick twitch, 
quick twitch to be able to react and get across the line of scrimmage that fast, but also to get into the flow of the game in a way where he is in tune with the cadence, in tune with a snap count. Because believe me, that that is not easy to do. You know, every most people are going to say, oh, you know, the defensive linemen are looking at the ball. A lot of the time, it is in the per, their peripheral vision and they're reacting to the movement of the guy across from them because the offensive line knows the snap count. Now in the NFL, I'll be honest, a lot of those guys just guess. Uh, and, and you'll see guys kind of jump off sides because they're just trying to get after the quarterback. Um, snap counts are kind of a, an open secret a lot of the time in the NFL um, as well. So, you know, with that, I think that that athleticism is, is something that's going to serve him well. Um, and he, he has the ability to get off the ball fast and to, to use that speed, but he just doesn't convert it to power when he's rushing the quarterback. Like you said, he's able to kind of go around offensive tackles. He's able to bend and kind of hit the edge on them, but I just don't see him being able to convert that back into power. Now to that end, is he going to struggle against the run if he's in a four down defense where he has to play one-on-one versus a tackle? Yeah, absolutely. He doesn't have that kind of skill set. You know, I think zone type a zone scheme from the offense, whether it's inside zone or outside zone are going to, that's going to give him some issues um, because, you know, it's asking him to play one-on-one against a tackle and play against the run. Now, again, like we kind of talked about last time, like for him being that force player or contain player, he has to keep his outside arm free. If he can do that, if he can stay at the line of scrimmage and do that, he's going to be in good shape. If he has his outside arm free, but he's five yards off the line of scrimmage, that's a bad deal. Right. So in a three down world, you can improve those blocking angles with a four or four eye inside of him, making it harder for the tackle to climb to him. Realistically, one of the things that I noticed about him with that first step and kind of where it actually really helped him in the run game was counter because you get a guard pulling at him. All of a sudden that guard who's pulling flat to kick out the the end man on the line of scrimmage, he's going to go and and try and kick Benito out as tight as he can. Now, all of a sudden, Benito's first step has taken him deeper into the backfield than that guard is normally used to. Now the guard has to adjust and go out and find him there. And now that that leaves a, a hole for the offense because now there's a lot more space there, right? Now that's a good thing and a bad thing. Like on a counter play, that can gash you because you've got a second puller coming through. But if the defense knows that and they're able to adjust, now you've basically got a lot more space for guys to flow to the ball and make the play. Yeah, real quick, Travis Wilber came in with some stars saying, good evening, Eric. Welcome, Luke, again, and hello, Broncos country. I feel the defensive lineman, I can't spell his name for the life of me, uh, Aoma Uwazarike, uh, will make an immediate impact of the rookies, followed by Benito, depending on how healthy Gregory and Chubb is. Now, with Uwazarike, I mean, I, I, I can say it, but I can't spell it, spell it. I actually have to Google it and make sure that I'm trying to spell it right every time I write it up. I just can't get the spelling down correctly every single time just yet. Um, so I definitely, I feel you on that one. Um, as for making an immediate impact, as I said, when he's drafted him, and as I said multiple times, I think that there is a um, clear opening for a very certain role that the Rams used last year with Ashawn Robinson. And Uwazarike is the one who fits that the cleanest. Everybody's pointing to McTelvin Ajim, but McTelvin Ajim has so many issues against the run that if he doesn't take this gigantic leap forward as a run defender, he just doesn't fit that role because that role is you're eating up as much space as possible, still put being able to push the pocket against the pass and allowing your edges and your linebacker to go and make the play, hit the hole, meet the ball carrier. And so Uazarike, six foot six, three hundred and what, fifteen pounds, I think he was at the combine. I mean, he's got size, he's got length. Um, pad level can be a little bit of an issue, and we're definitely going to talk about Uwazarike here more in a little bit. Um, 
but uh, just some quick thoughts about him about if he can make an immediate impact. Uazurike, you're saying? Yep. Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll get into him in more depth for sure because I have more thoughts on just like than an immediate impact. Immediate impact. Immediate impact. Um, I don't know. I, I think that's kind of an in between thing for me because I think he's he's got the skill set to make an immediate impact as a run defender. Do I think he's going to be a twitchy pass rusher who's going to jump off the screen? No, I don't think he's going to be a flashy guy, but I think he's going to be a guy who can come in and be a part of a D line rotation, execute his role. Do I think he's going to be a guy who comes out of nowhere and takes a league by storm and is, you know, chasing JJ Watt for sack totals every year? No, but I do think he can make an immediate impact. I just don't know if it's going to always be in the public eye and in the way that people see it. I think he's going to be kind of one of those unsung heroes who, you know, if, if you ask the linebackers who they were going to, you know, buy a coffee for every week, they'd probably say a guy like him because he makes their job easier, but I don't know that he's going to get the the plot. It's in the media per se. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of similar there for like Derek Wolf for a while. I mean, Derek Wolf wasn't yeah. always the flashiest player, but he did his job. He was consistent. He was disciplined. And well, I don't think Wazariku will be. I mean, Wolf was a very talented player in his own right. Um, Wazariku is just going to be that disciplined guy that just goes out there, does his role, and his, his impact won't always show in the box score. Um, Jeffrey come, comes in and says, glad you're feeling better, Eric. Go Broncos. Uh, thank you. I Last week, just happened to get a little overheated um, and just led to some other issues. And uh, honestly, it scared the living crap out of me. Um, so I've been starting a diet and workout and everything. But uh, thank you for that. But I'm feeling fine. I started feeling fine last week after I cooled down and everything. So no issues. Nothing seems to be a lingering issue either when I saw somebody to help with that. Um, and then Mike S says, which of the top four picks do you like the least, Luke? Oh, man, really put me on the spot. Um, <laughs> I mean, as a coach, the kind of the easy answer for me here is like, I, I don't think any of them is is particularly bad. Like they're all football players. And if they're used in a wrong way or if they're not developed correctly, then they're going to be bad, um, which I know is such a cop out answer as a coach. Um, I would say the pick I think has. I'll put it this way. I think the pick who has the most specific niche that like they need in order for them to contribute is probably Bendito. Like, I think he can do so much for you from an athleticism perspective. Um, and honestly, I think the thing that, that he does that most people don't ask of a four down end in college is he drops in a coverage. Like, Oklahoma asked him to do that. Like that is such, you know, their defensive coordinator, Alex Grinch, like is a very hot commodity name in, in coaching because he's very highly thought of. Like, Benito was kind of a jack of all trades. Now, like he was played as the defensive end into the boundary. And that is for a very specific reason, because you can drop that guy into coverage more easily than you can the defensive end to the field, because you're dropping him into the boundary. There's far less space there. So you can drop that guy to the curl flat window. That's less distance for him to travel. He has to react to less route combinations because you can't run as much as many different things into the boundary. So those are things he can do in the NFL, right? He can, you know, there's no real field and boundary because the hash marks are so tight, but you can do that. You know, when they went to their three down package, he kind of was a stand-up linebacker over the center. He can move laterally. He can spy the quarterback. He can do that in the NFL. Um, you know, the, the other thing Oklahoma did was they would stunt, they would twist him inside, not always to, you know, he, he wouldn't necessarily win one-on-one -on -one with guards, like he just doesn't have that power, but sometimes they miscommunicate. He comes through free or the guy outside of him wins against a tackle. So he has the versatility, 
I just don't know that I see him being necessarily a day one impact player. I just don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater and say, just because of that, he's a bad player. I think he needs a specific role, and I think he's going to have to grow into that role. I think he's going to be a very much a designated pass rusher probably his first year or so in the league as he adds strength, as he adds you know, power and an understanding of, of the NFL and, and game speed there. I think he's going to be a good dynamic player. I just don't think he's going to be like an every down guy because I think there's so much you can do with him. Again, from a coach's perspective, a college coach loves that guy because he can do so much for you. Yeah, and there's something you said there that I want to come back to, but first, Chad, the big boss man came in with a $20 donation. Thank you, Chad, for, I mean, just everything, uh, the opportunity that you've given me and all that through over the all those years ago and what it's kind of evolved into. He says, shout out to an MHH alum. Luke was part of the team that founded Mile Huddle back in 2014. Gang's all here. Uh, yeah, I, last, last time you were on, I made the comment that I didn't think that you were part of it at the beginning, and after we got off, you kind of scolded me about it, and... Uh, how you were actually part of the the you you were the part of the process of coming up with the name Mile High Huddle, um, and uh, yeah, I mean it's it's just great. And I mean it was so many years ago that I don't fully remember everything. Um, honestly, I couldn't even tell you when MHH was founded. So 2014, <laughs> I got to commit that to memory. Um, but yeah, Luke, it's always great to have you on, and it's great to have met you and everything. And um, yeah, super excited here and get a coach's perspective on these players. Yeah, just just glad we could get the record straight here for once, Eric. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No, from uh, from memory, if you're really looking for for dates, I would I think it would be. I remember talking to Chad in probably July or August of 2014, if memory serves. So you can you can fact check me on that. But um, no, I, I was I was thankful for the opportunity to be a part of that. Like I, I love my time in in the journalism and the the media world and got the opportunity to to coach and have kind of taken that by the horns and, and just kind of run with it. And um, it's, it's been amazing. And there are definitely days when I miss getting to talk football from a, from a scouting perspective, but um, you know, I'm, I'm also thankful for the, for the life I get to leave, lead as a college football coach as well. Well, at least I'm still here to help you dip your toes into the water on, on the media aspect of it. <laughs> anyway, it's a- Depending on the day, that that water is either freezing cold or scalding hot, depending on how you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Um, and then uh, Orange Colored Glasses rule came, came, real quick came in and said, is it me or do the highlights of Henningsen not remind you of Derek Wolf? Um, Matt Henningsen is an interesting player. I mean, there, there's no denying how intelligent of a player he is. I mean, he's not he's, there's a reason he's compared to uh, Matt Damon's character in A Beautiful Mind. Um, the academics there are outstanding are amazing for him. I mean, um, some rather prestigious awards and stuff like that, if I remember correctly, uh, well, during his time in college. And he is a really good football player. I He was one of my biggest – he was one of the guys when they announced the list for the 20 – for the scouting combine this year. He was one of the guys that I immediately didn't see on there. And I was like, that's a mistake. He should definitely be on that. Um, he pops consistently on tape. The Wisconsin game versus Notre Dame was – just really speaks to how good of a player he could potentially be. Um, I think that this is a guy, and I don't say this often with guys drafted in the sixth, seventh round. He's a guy that he can become a long-term starter in the NFL. He just has that talent. He's not a bad athlete. He's got the intelligence. And at the very least, this is a guy that I think that he hangs around as long as he stays healthy. Um, He's already dealt with an injury. He dealt with some injuries in college. So that's a big caveat here. Um, that he can have a long career in the NFL. Um, inversely, speaking of that Notre game, uh, Notre Dame game, that was the extremely bad game from Fayon Hicks, the 
Wisconsin defensive back that um, was a uh, rather concerning. He got burned multiple times, got out of position a couple times. So it was a little bit rough, but uh, hopefully he can, uh, Fayon Hicks at least, can beat out um, a song bossy for that nickel corner, backup nickel corner spot. But Henningsen reminded me of Derek Wolf. Um, I could definitely see it. Um, I could definitely see how that compare, why that uh, comparison is there. Um, they have similar play styles. Henningsen is another one of those guys. He's disciplined, which later on at some point, I'll definitely get into the whole, the whole aspect with discipline with his coaching staff. Um, it seems to be a pretty important thing for them. But so, yeah, I definitely see it. Um, going back to this, to Nick Benito and talking about what all he can do. How familiar are you with Leonard Floyd? I'm a little bit familiar. Yeah, I know the guy. Not personally, but <laughs> I, I know of Leonard Floyd, yes. And, and uh, of his uh, his role in the NFL, has, has it been kind of this hybrid guy drops into coverage a little bit. And basically, one of the things that I heard consistently throughout the draft process was, that's your role for Nick Benito. Guy who can drop into coverage. You got to cover him up as a run defender a little bit. Um, but he's athletic. He's explosive. He's bendy. Th- those... Those traits were described as with Leonard Floyd as well. So that's yeah. that could be that role for Nick Benito kind of. A hundred percent. And I I I think, you know, not to not to be pop psychologist here, I think probably people might be a little bit down on him because he is, you know, he was the Broncos' first draft choice this year. And, you know, when you wait as long as sixty, what was it, sixty-four, um, there's there's bound to be some some discontent with, Oh, you know, we, we got this far just to get a guy who's going to be a pass rusher for the first couple of years. And like, that's totally understandable. Like you're, you're going to want bang for your buck, but at the same time, I think he, he is, he's good. Like he's, he's about, he's drafted about where I would expect him to be. He's a player with great upside. He's a player who is not a perfect day one starter. He's a, he's a day one impact player in certain sub packages in ways where you can scheme him up, to not have to play tackles one-on-one in the run game and where you can scheme him up ways to get, you know, good advantageous pass rush looks. And guess what? You know, he keeps that athleticism. He had some size, he had some power two years from now. He's a, you know, a three down player for you, but right now, you know, maybe he's an impact guy. He comes in in a couple sub packages. Like I wouldn't be surprised if he's listed at second on the depth chart. And if anything happens to the one, the three jumps him like that would not shock me for this year, because I think they're going to see him as a designated pass rusher. Um, I say that fully acknowledging that I have no idea who they're going to consider one, two or three on the depth chart as, but he just strikes me as someone they're going to see as this guy is a part-time player for us in base packages, but he's going to be an impact guy for us on third and obvious third and long situations where we can tell Nick, go get the quarterback. Yeah. And on that is, I mean, Bradley Chubb, Randy Gregory being able to take that time, um, with Nick Benito having that, having Chubb and Gregory there on the roster, those are your two starters, uh, provided they stay healthy. Um, both of them have, you know, rather severe injury history. Uh, they can give Nick Benito the time. They can use him as that pass rusher. And the biggest thing is they're also moving Baron Browning. And I know a lot of Broncos country isn't happy with that. He's going to be this hybrid off ball edge um, player for them. And he can step in and he can help provide that time to him. The biggest thing and one of the biggest reasons why I like this pick is it helps keep Malik Reed off the field. And that was the biggest concern. I mean, if you want to talk about a liability against the run, just watch Malik Reed. And I believe it was the Philadelphia game where the offensive lineman just shoved him back 20 yards, um, almost matching step for step with the running back. I mean, it was absolutely abysmal showing from him. 
against the run. Um, and, but we've, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I will jump in. Like I, I, this is not me saying like, I don't know Randy Gregory and Bradley Chubb are the ones like, it's just going to depend like in each package, like who is the one for them at that specific position? Yeah. Like, I think he's going to be a one on their obvious pass rushing package from day one. Like, especially with Chubb, especially with Gregory, those are guys you can kick inside on a third and long situation where now you can get good matchups with those guys against guards because those guys are more likely to win pass rush reps against guards. Now you can isolate a Benito on a tackle and let him go to work in space. Yeah, and um, I think part of the reason you touched on it a little bit about hitting the pick because it was the first pick, 64th overall. I mean, obviously you're going to find a player there with issues. But, I mean, I think one of the biggest things is Broncos country, a lot of us were set on offensive tackle. And there was a lot of there was a lot of fans that were set on an offensive tackle out of Washington State, Abraham Lucas, who he ended up going 80, 81, somewhere around there. And he was on the he, he was on the board and never passed on the tackle. Um, there was a defensive lineman out of Connecticut that I myself had as a first round pick that fell to the third round. So he was there at 64 and everybody wanted him in Travis Jones. Um, big athletic dude. I mean, uh, just right behind um, Jordan Davis. Uh, for with the athletic testing at the combine. I mean, it was absolutely insane. Um, but when you don't always hear stuff before the draft, sometimes you, and then you start to hear it afterwards. And I guess there was a lot of conditioning questions with Travis Jones um, and a lot of lack of discipline concerns with Travis Jones. So Abraham Lucas, I mean, he kind of went in the range that was expected for him. But with Travis Jones, um, I kind of mentioned it earlier about discipline being important with his coaching staff. And this is one where, especially on the defensive side of the ball, and most coaches would want this, is you got to do your role because if you don't, then you're just hurting the whole unit. And this, this is a big thing with this coaching staff, with the things that they're going to do on the defense. Um, you, you, got, you, can't, you can't freelance. You got to do your job, and you got to do it well. And while Travis Jones, when he does his job well, th there was time, noticeable times that he was able that he's freelancing and that with the conditioning aspect could have been why Denver decided to pass on him. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's, that's so key too, is, you know, so much of defense is relying on the guys around you to do their one eleventh. You'll hear that expression, like Bill Belichick and his whole do your job mantra. Like you won't walk into a football coach coach's office across America and not hear them say, like do your job. And yeah, to, to Tommy's comment, like space is bad. I, I think space can be good or bad for both the offense or the defense. Right. And I think space is not necessarily a bad thing for a defense. If it's a schemed space, right. When, when a defense takes on, say it's a puller, right. If they have a, a pulling guard coming to them, they, they know within the concept of the defense, how they should take on the puller, right. Do they box him and do they, basically get their outside outside shoulder free and, you know, knock everything back inside of them, or do they spill it, take away the pullers inside shoulder, and now they knock everything and spill it wider than them. So realistically space can be bad, but if you're scheming space, if you're telling the entire defense, Hey, we're going to spill this. Now this becomes a predictable angle for everybody else because they know that the defensive end is going to spill the puller. Now they know where the running back is going to have to bounce the run, right? Because if the running back sees the puller lose his block from his perspective, right now he has to trace that ball outside. Now it's a race to the sideline. So space can and cannot be bad, right? Like if that defensive end is going to, if he's going to let himself get kicked out, if he's creating that space, it's because he knows he's going to have someone filling that space behind him. You have like, 
incredibly, not necessarily complex, but very detailed eye progressions, even for safeties these days when they're playing out in space and they're reading how an overhang is getting blocked in terms of how they're going to fit off of that. Space is not necessarily bad. Unfilled space is bad. But space in and of itself can actually be a very good thing for a defense if it's predictable, if it's, again, if the guy does his job right and the space is, you know, if they're if they're forcing the run where it needs to be, then that can actually be a really good thing. Yeah, and need, I mean, we spent 30 minutes here, so time to move on to the next player. And, of course, this is actually a um, perfect comment to kind of transition us into it with from Travis Over saying, I know we will see how Hackett system work. But with Wilson's history of not using the tight end much, what kind of impact will Dulcich make? So before we actually get into the question itself, why don't you give us some quick thoughts on Dulcich? Yeah, for, for being in a Chip Kelly offense, which, you know, historically has the kind of the stereotype of air raid, you know, throw the ball around. Like, I think that, that Dulcich actually did a lot of stuff pretty reasonably well in both the run and the pass game. Um, you know, from the from what I saw of him, I don't think he does great against, like, press, like, tight coverage, which kind of is to be expected. That's fair. He's a tight end. He's a bigger body. But I do think he's actually really pretty agile and pretty good at, at kind of escaping coverage at the second level. Like, one thing you talk about is first-level releases, right, which is pretty obvious. You've got a man right up in your face. Like, you've got a defensive back who's going to challenge you off the line of scrimmage you're going to get that on the outside receivers, right? Like outside receivers have to win against press coverage. Like that is just a default of playing in the NFL. Second level releases are when you're now going to release and say you're a tight end and you're running a dig, right? So you're trying to break to the inside of the field. Now you've got a, a, a linebacker coming out and he's told his coaching point is wall three, right? He has got to wall number three. He cannot let number three get to the middle of the field. So now is you've got kind of the unstoppable force and the immovable object, right? Uh, you've got the tight end who needs to get to the middle field. And you've got the linebacker who's not going to let him get to the middle of the field. So how do you work those second level releases? How do you create space for yourself? And I think he's actually really athletic. I think he does a good job with his hips. I think he does a good job with his hands. Um, you know, obviously UCLA did a lot with him in terms of splitting him out wide and putting him in a receiver position. And I don't think they actually lost anything from him. As an agribusiness expert with Alliant Energy and a farmer, I know how important it is to get the most out of your land. I know that also applies to getting the most out of how your farm uses energy. That's why Alliant Energy offers free farm energy assessments. With a farm energy assessment, someone like me will find all kinds of ways to help you save money and energy. We can even connect you with rebates to help make energy equipment upgrades even more affordable. Schedule your free assessment at AlliantEnergy.com slash FarmEnergyAssessment. College can be expensive, but saving now can help your students save later. Give your child's college savings a boost by registering for a chance at one of 25 $1,000 savings plan deposits for 6th through 12th graders. Sign up today at iowastudentloan.org slash register. Look for the Save Now, Save Later giveaway under the scholarships page. Log on and register today. That's iowastudentloan.org. In terms of contributions by doing that, like they asked a lot of things of him that they would a receiver. I don't think they changed their playbook with him at receiver, which is a which is a testament to his talent as a receiver. Um, obviously, he wasn't asked to do a ton from a true three point stance in line as a tight end. I thought from what I saw, I liked what I saw. I'd kind of like to see him refit his hands and drive a little bit sooner. Um, but I think his, his hand placement in particular is really, really good. And that can be difficult for tight ends to kind of get right. Yeah. So 
going back to Travis's question here, um, what kind of impact he'll make with Wilson's history of not using tight end much? Um, Russell Wilson historically, I mean, he hasn't used the tight end that well. Um, tight end targets under Russell Wilson, with Russell Wilson leading the leading the helm of the Seattle Seahawks, they have consistently been in like the bottom three every single year in tight end targets. Um, just not used much and um, not targeted often. Doesn't mean that they don't make plays, and they definitely go out there. They make plays. Will Disley, Will Disley made some nice plays, as Chase says. Um, made made some nice deep plays with Russ. Uh, he did against the Broncos too, if I remember correctly. That he had a couple of them a couple years ago. Um, so it's not that they, he, I mean, he uses them. It's just not a high rate of usage compared. I mean, it's below the league average. Um, and part of the concern here too is obviously how much of that was. Um, the offensive system in Seattle, but if that if that's going to be a concern, that needs to be a similar concern with Nathaniel Hackett, who said that he's bringing over a lot of the Green Bay offense and really wanted to attack attack the boundaries. Um, Aaron Rodgers, ever since um, Lafleur and Hackett have got to Green Bay, is also there towards the bottom in usage of the tight end and tight end targets. Um, but there's more ways that a tight end like Dulcich can help out the offense besides just being targeted. So, Luke, I mean, you could you could probably explain that a lot better than I can. Yeah, I think one thing that's really interesting to me, and this is just kind of a casual observation, like I'd be curious to get, Eric, your thoughts, since I know you watch a lot more like high-level Division One college football than I do. I, you know, I tend to watch the upcoming opponents, and that's about it. Um, but a lot of the time, so when a team lines up in 11 personnel, the, you know, that's three receivers, one tight end, one running back. And they line up in kind of a four wide three by one split, right? So they've got three receivers to one side of the field. They've got one receiver to the other and they put the tight end to the trip side. I feel like the majority of the time, what I kind of see as standard is to put the tight end at number two, right? So from the inside out, you've got receiver, tight end, outside receiver. I feel like that's kind of typically what I've seen. And that that's from a coaching perspective for a pretty pretty straightforward reason, right? If you're going to throw a, a screen to the receiver, the two easiest screens are to, to throw for a quarterback is number three on a bubble and number one on a tunnel, right? Those are the two easiest throws because they're the shortest distance and they're the easiest throws. Now, what UCLA did with Dulcich, which was really interesting, is they put him at number three. Sure, you could throw a tight end a bubble, but that's not really going to be kind of his wheelhouse per se, right? You're not going to ask that guy to turn around and backpedal and then catch a ball and get upfield. That's just not his deal. Um, but by doing that, they actually kind of force defenses to adjust in a way because that is not the standard way of doing it. Again, correct me if I'm wrong. That just doesn't feel like kind of what I've seen as being standard. Um, so for for what they asked him to do in the pass game, they kind of put him in a position where now he can be kind of that interior most receiver where he's going to get good matchups. And they force defenses because offenses typically line up in that very predictable way. Now the defense has to kind of change their thought process of how do they attack this or how do they defend this formation when they're so used to defending screen-wise the bubble of three and the tunnel of one. So now you put a tight end there, that kind of changes the equation for defense, and that actually creates creates some really good mismatches for Dulcich, right? Because now it puts him in a position where the defense has to adjust slightly. They're not going to change their entire thought process, but they're going to do some things differently. And I, I think he, he did a really good job of taking advantage of that as a receiver in a two-point stance. I think in particular, he he ran digs really well. I was really impressed with that. But I do think from a three-point stance, you know, his his blocking was good enough that I think he can get by there. But 
again, for me, from what I see from him, again, based on film and athleticism, really excited to see what he might be able to do out of a two-point receiver stance. Yeah, Gary Lee's Palmer came in saying, good afternoon, Eric, and welcome back. Luke, always great to take your get your take. And, yeah, it's always great to get Luke's take, even when he's wrong. And, I mean, one of those instances is with Dulcich's blocking, but we'll get that here in a second. Andrew Baker says, some love for Valley Boys and Scott. And great to see you're okay, Eric. Let's hashtag let's ride. Yeah, as I said earlier, I mean, I'm feeling fine, feeling great. Last week, it's just a matter of just getting a little too hot and um, just needed to go and cool down a little bit. So thank you guys. And uh, I saw you guys' kind words and everything last week as well, and I appreciate that. But everything's all good on my end. Um, just starting to get hot in Alaska, and my office gets quite hot when that happens and just didn't have it cooled down enough, you know, before going live and adding in extra light on lighting on me. Made it even hotter. But going back to how you're wrong about Greg Dulcich's blocking. Um to, to be to be honest here, it, it's not super terrible. I mean, one thing I absolutely loved about his blocking, and it's something that you always love to hear, is his effort. I mean, there's no doubt that he was giving it 100, 110% every single time he was asked to block. I mean, there's times and Bronco fans should be familiar with this. You see a tight end go out there, he's asked to block, and you can see that the effort just isn't all there. A uh, certain number 87 from last year, you know, uh, kind of gives that away. But the other thing, too, with Greg Dulcich that I absolutely love to hear was how willing he was to do it and how he strives to consistently get better. He, It's never enough. He's always got to get better, and he has that drive and effort, and I absolutely love to hear that about a tight end, um, especially when they have an area where not necessarily a major weakness, but a clear area of improvement that they need to make. Yeah, and correct me if I'm wrong, but he's a he's a former walk-on, correct? I believe so. Yes. Yeah, and and to me, that's that's awesome. Like he, he that means he he worked hard enough. He he earned his spot. He earned everything he's got. Like you know, going from a walk-on to an impact player in college is the same thing as an undrafted free agent making the team in the NFL, right? Because he's 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 had to be hungry. He's had to work hard, and he's had to grind for that. You know, that was not handed to him. Um, now, don't get me wrong, like this is not saying that all walk-ons are bad college football players because believe me, walk-ons are incredibly talented, but they just may not have the same athletic abilities as some of the other guys. Um, so for him, like I think blocking wise, I think one thing he does really well is he's really strong with his leverage side hand. Right. So if I'm, if I've got a guy right out here and I'm trying to block him and I'm trying to get my hat across, right. I'm trying to get my, my helmet play side of his to cut him off with my body. Right. To, to put my body between him and the ball carrier, he's really strong with that hand to, to first throw a blow to kind of throw that guy's shoulder back to be able to then fit his second hand in. And that's crucial because as a tight end, that you're, as a tight end, your first hand has to be your strong one because that's how you're going to set the tempo on a block. If you're, if you're soft with that first hand and then really hard with the second one, guess what? You're actually going to bounce the guy into the lane. Right. You're actually going to end up throwing him with your momentum in the direction that you want the ball to go. So your first your first hand, your placement's got to be right because you, you don't want to throw. You don't want to be off laterally, but your power has to be really good to shock him, kind of jolt him a little bit, which also gives you time to then bring your second hand and refit your feet and your hands. To, to, I should say, to drive your feet and refit your hands. And I think that first hand is really good with him. 
I think where he kind of fails is then kind of refitting his his hands, and I think he can be better with his feet and driving from there. But that first hand, I think, is really good with him, and I think that I mean that's something that tight ends can struggle with consistently getting that first hand right. So yeah, if you get that first hand right and then you give effort, you're going to be a good college tight end. But you're going to have to kind of put the full picture together to be a good pro pro level tight end. Yeah, one thing in doing this, and I'm not sure if you'll agree with me or not on this. One thing I've learned in doing this, when it, especially when it comes to blocking. Is there is so much importance on that first that first punch that first connection, uh, and blocking it often it's you know it's what sets up the often the result of the play. Um, so with Greg Dulcich, um, just just real quick so we can get on to Damari Mathis and Uazarike. Um, what what kind of caliber tight end do you think he can be? Like, can he be one of those guys, like not necessarily like top five, but being a top 10 tight end, top 15, where, where do you, where can you see him landing if he reaches his potential? Oh man, that's a great question. Um, I, I've seen some clickbait type stuff calling him the next Travis Kelsey. I think Travis Kelsey is kind of a one of a kind player. Like I, I don't think there's, you know, a ton of Travis Kelsey's and Rob Gronkowski's rock walking the streets these days. I just, they, yeah. <laughs> they're kind of, you know, they're unique. Um, I think he can be a very, very good tight end. I think he's got the athletic ability. I think he's got the, the drive and the desire to become very good. And like I said, I think his route running ability is good. Like he's got good flexibility at the second level. I think one thing he kind of struggles with a little bit, which is kind of a classic tall guy syndrome deal is what I call airplaning, which is, and you see this, well, you see this with receivers who are not as good at disguising it, but when they're running a route, they kind of, they look like an airplane taking off in the sense that the closer they get to their break point, the more they kind of start rising up in their stance, right? You want them to be nice and low with good pad level kind of throughout. That's one thing I think he struggles with. I think, you know, NFL defenders are going to be able to pick up and say, Hey, his shoulders are higher than they were two steps ago. He's about to change direction or he's about to stop. So those are things that NFL defenders will pick up on. And those are things he can refine. Um, so I think he can be a very good, you know, easily top half of the league tight end. It, do I think he has the athleticism to be an absolute matchup nightmare? Probably not. But, you know, if he really gets his route running down, yeah, sure. He could he could be a top half of the league tight end. All right. So before we get into Demar Mathis, everybody in chat, make sure you guys get your questions in for Luke. Um, this is his final appearance ever uh, on Dove Valley Drivers. No. <laughs> um, just with summer and maybe might be able to squeeze them on one more time before the college football season starts. But, you know, for some weird reason, when college football season starts, a co co college coach gets busy. Um, but uh, so make sure you guys get your questions in about this. And uh, so Damari Mathis, this is one that just based off a quick conversation that we had, we seem to have, not I, I don't want to say a diff uh, difference of opinion on him as a, as a player, just the a difference of him as in terms of what he can kind of be. So some, what are your thoughts on Mathis? Yeah. Well, I think for first and foremost, like I think a lot of what he does is going to fit what the Broncos are going to end up doing. Like he played at Pitt. Pitt is the, the absolute bastion of quarters. Like they just, they run quarters until the cows come home. And I think that's, that's probably something he's going to be asked to be, to do a fair bit in Denver. So I think that's going to serve him well, right off the bat. Um, I, I know a lot of what he ended up doing kind of turned into man at a certain point for him. And I think he's 
comfortable in man. But from a coaching perspective, I don't know if I'm comfortable with him being in man a lot of the time. Um, one game where I noticed he really struggled was Wake Forest. And Wake Forest, in my opinion, is one of the best offenses in college football at RPOing. Um, and what they ended up doing was they isolated him on a receiver several times and they threw glances against him. And a glance is just like a seven-step post. Um, so basically – the safety is involved in the run fit or the safety steps down and they're trying to fit a ball right in behind where the safety would be on a post to the receiver. Um, and they got him a couple times on that. They, he ended up getting grabby. I think he had a couple penalties called against him. He got beat on a couple of those. And, and I don't know that you can live with him full time as a man cover corner. Do you, can you live with him as a zone cover corner? Yeah, I think so. I, I think he's one thing he brings as a DB, which is unique and refreshing is tackling um, he's not afraid to be physical. He comes up and makes plays. Um, I think, you know, he can be a good press corner. I just don't know that he has the length to really survive as a man press corner long-term in the NFL. Yeah. And I mean, as you said, I mean, cover, cover four match quarters, like Pittsburgh's bread and butter. I mean, he knows it. And that's, that's the assumption of what Denver will be running. Travis Homer came in with some stars. Thank you, Travis. We appreciate that. And as I said before, your consistent support throughout all this show, every show, every week, every day. It's awesome. You're one of the superstars of Mile Idol, and we appreciate you. Um, with Damari Mathis, um, there's some, I don't want to say necessarily, necessarily say debate. Um, one thing that stood out when I watched him was his versatility. I believe that he can do multiple things in the secondary, play multiple roles. Um I think his, and you, you can uh, hear and have your rebuttal here. Um, I, I think his best role for long term, like if he really wants to, not necessarily, if he wants to be not necessarily a star, but a great, great player in the NFL, I think the best place for him is actually at safety. Interesting. Yeah, um, I think his tackling ability lends itself well to safety. I've seen some people kind of throw around, oh, can he be the nickel corner type deal where, you know, these days in the NFL, having a slot corner like a Chris Harris Jr. of, of years past, like who can tackle, who can be physical and come down and stop the run is so important. Um, I think one thing I was really, I guess, let down by was um, just kind of seeing what, what coaches would call a, a crack replace. Um, which is basically anytime the receiver comes in to block the safety that the corner then needs to trace back outside and now fit the run. Um, that was one thing that I think he was just slow to react to seeing that. So I'd be curious if that kind of translates in him being slower to see things happening in front of him at safety. Um, I don't, I don't hate him as a DB by any means. I think he's got a lot of tools that I think coaches will like, like he's not afraid to be physical. He's not afraid to come down and, and, you know, be physical in coverage or tackle against the run. Um, but I also don't know that he necessarily has like that second gear, like recovery speed that you would maybe necessarily want from a safety either. Interesting. Um, so Mathis, I mean, not much to really cover. I mean, it's very obvious why Denver looked his way. Um, one thing that was interesting is that when, in a the Broncos have a series, Luke. I'm not sure if you're aware of this called Behind the Broncos. Um, I believe is what it's called. Um, I, but it can I've, give... I've seen of it. I haven't. I haven't actually watched any of it, but I've okay. I've seen the things floating across my social media. And in that, one of the things that I found was interesting that it was leading up to pick 64 when they uh, picked Nick Benito is 
Greg Dulcich, Greg Dulcich was mentioned. Damari Mathis was mentioned. So I, I find that interesting that they there was at least a conversation there of taking Damari Mathis at 64 and they got him at 115th overall. And again, it's not hard to see why. I mean, projected scheme that the Broncos are running coverage scheme seems to be exactly along the same of what he was doing at um, at Pittsburgh. So not a huge change. I mean, obviously you have the change in, term, in certain terminology or certain wording, things like that, but most of it's going to be the same. Um, Phil McLaughlin came in with some stars. We appreciate that, Phil. Um, we appreciate your support. I mean, you guys, without your guys' support, I wouldn't be able to do this full time. And so I'm, I'm especially appreciative of it, but I know everybody else here at MHH is as well. Um, Orange Colored Glasses says, do you have any idea on how some of our young veteran late round or undrafted players are developing? Seth Williams, Moody, Cleveland, Jamar Johnson, um, Sosa. Uh, name Sosa doesn't sound familiar. Ojemudia and Bossy. Um, or Bassey. Uh, Seth Williams, um, haven't really heard anything about. One thing that I found was interesting was Natani Moody being talked about with how great he's doing in the outside zone scheme. Um, at this point, could be coach speak, could be reality. Um, I'll, it's one of those situations where I'll believe it when I see it because watching last year, it was something that Moody really struggled with. So I can't imagine that, you know, he's just drastically gotten so much better. Tyree Cleveland, I mean, Dwayne Stokes referred to him as a core special teams player. Um, that may be enough to get him on the practice squad because when you're looking at that, um, looking at that bottom or that low on the depth chart, special teams matters. Jamar Johnson, um, obviously he still has a chance for it. In my opinion, I think he's been effectively replaced. Um, Delarian Turner Yell, Kareem Jackson, PJ Locke. Um, PJ Locke, especially, has been having, looking really good at camp um, so far. Made some plays. Justin Simmons praised him. A couple other players praised him. Um, so Jamar Johnson, the biggest issue, again, is special teams. Not very physical. Not exactly a great tackler. And that's something that you have to be able to do on special teams, especially as a safety. Um, so, so it's McTelvin Najim. Okay. Um, McTelvin Najim, um, he did find it as a pass rusher last year. Um, I actually have my player profile on McTelvin Najim that goes in a lot more into my thoughts on him and what he's done and where he's at. He has a chance to be a starter this year, but he's got to show improvement as a run defender. Ojemudia, um, he played great. I mean, against Kansas City, it was the only game he played in last year. I mean, he, he played extremely well. Um, Asong Bossi, I think, is at a point where they needed to look at replacing him. Um, it's just he's shown that he's just not – he can't handle the crossing routes, which if you're going to be in the corner, you, you got to be able to handle it a little bit better – a lot better than he does. Um, so moving on to Aoma Uwazurike. Inni, as his nickname is, um, I know that you, you've seen my Twitter reaction to it. You, you know that uh, I was rather excited when uh, that pick came down the the pipeline. There, um, we talked about him briefly earlier. Six foot six, three hundred and fifteen, sixteen pounds, extremely long, pretty good athlete for his size. Not exactly the most bursty, speedy guy, but he doesn't really need to be. Um. And so uh, one thing that I will say this, one thing that bothered me a lot during the draft process was people kept referring to him as an edge. And that is largely due to how Iowa State, you know, that defense that Iowa State runs, getting him classified as an edge. But uh, that was rather frustrating because, I mean, if you can't look at a six foot six, 315 pound guy and say, yeah, that's not an edge, I, I have issues with that. So uh, go ahead and give us your thoughts on Uwazarike. 
just because he plays the end doesn't make him an make him an edge. Like that's <laughs> that's the thing about the the Iowa State defense, and this is becoming increasingly in vogue. Like I think you're going to see more and more teams doing this is giving what look like really really light box counts, but they're playing three down and they're having three safeties on the field and they're fitting the run with ways that you don't expect it, and it throws off counts for the offense because they can't they won't. If, if you have a safety coming in to play the run from 10 yards downfield and the safety knows he's playing run, but the offensive line doesn't, then you're not going to account for that guy in your blocking scheme. And so that's why Iowa State is really throwing off some of these college offenses. Um, so w- when it comes to him, yeah, obviously he's not an edge. Like I would consider him an interior defensive lineman first and foremost. For being 6'6", I think he actually gets off the ball pretty well. I think he actually has pretty good pad level when he makes contact. I think he gets impressively low for a bigger guy. I think he ends up kind of standing up a little bit more the more he makes contact, but I think he fires off the ball well. A lot of the time what you see with these defensive ends, especially in like an Iowa State three down type scheme. And you'll see this from the Iowa States increasingly like the Baylors of the world where it's Dave Aranda kind of running similar thought processes is you'll see them in these four point stances. And a lot of the time you'll see them four I or four where they're head up on a tackle and they'll be in a four point totally balanced stance. And they, they play what's called like a launch technique or a, a jump technique, not, not like a true jump technique, but like where they're basically firing off the ball and they're making contact with the offensive lineman and they're fitting based on flow, right? So they're, if the if the offensive lineman goes to his left, depending on what his gap is, he's going to fit to the right. So when he's getting off the ball, people are, you know, a lot of people will say, oh, he's in a four-point stance. Why is he not in a three-point stance? Well, if you're in a four-point stance, it's really easy for you to, number one, fire off straight, but for you to adjust based on that, depending on where the offensive line goes. So I think, I think that's actually a very nuanced technique for him to play. Um, I think that's not an easy technique to play. It's not a true two gap. It's kind of like a either or gap type situation. Um, I think this is a guy who is built for a three down defense. Realistically, I think he can play end for you on base down and distance, and then you can kick him to nose. I think he can be okay as a pass rusher. Like I said, I don't think he's flashy. I don't think he's going to get any kind of sack races league wide, but I think he can chew up the front of the pocket. I think he can kind of push the center back a little bit, but realistically, this is a guy you can play anywhere across a three down front. And he's going to do a great job of, like I said, linebackers are going to be queuing up to buy this guy a coffee because he's going to make their lives a lot easier. I think. Yeah. And with one of the things you said is being able to play anywhere on the defensive line is, um, yeah, I mean, having that versatility and this day and age in the NFL, the more you can do, the better, the more heads you can wear. Um, you, one thing you mentioned is that he his, his gap responsibilities was kind of an either or kind of situation. Um, just how easy do you think that is to transfer to a one and a half gap technique? Like, just for some of those out there, like how how easy is it simply to just all right one and a half gap instead of this kind of either or kind of thing? I mean, I think that the either or is actually a little bit harder. I think it's a little bit more technical because you basically have to. Like in the time between you fire off the ball and the time you make contact, you have to recognize, okay, which way is the offensive line stepping and how does that determine where I fit, right? Like if, if I am head up on a tackle and he is going to say, I'm say I'm playing right defensive end against the left tackle, right? If he goes to my right, his left, if it's say outside zone, then I need to get into his back pocket and play the B gap, right? I need to, to be a B gap player. Say it's, same exact situation, but now the offensive line is going out so outside zone to the right. 
I'm still going to try and launch and disrupt him and slow him down. But now I've become a C gap player is one way you can kind of get into that. Um, and that's, that's very, very technical. Like that is not an easy like technique to do that requires a lot of drilling. So I honestly, I think that one and a half gap is actually a little bit easier to do because there's so much less reaction involved um, in terms of like, launching off the ball, getting your feet right. How do you make contact? Where do you fit? Where do you put your hands? Like so much goes into just the way that Iowa State plays their defense, which, you know, has a high learning curve. So I think it's it's a lot easier once you do that. Like I think you actually have a good nuanced understanding of offensive line play. Yeah, Chance the Gamer came out with the $5 donation. Says, what do you guys think our record would be if we took this year's team and dropped them in last year's? Um, that's always difficult. To, I mean, that kind of question is difficult to answer just because, you know, so many different variables in play. Um, I think it's safe to assume that they would definitely be better. I mean, there was a, quite a few close games that they had. Um, and then I think that a lot of those with having a quarterback like Russell Wilson, you can flip the score. Um, there's definitely much more of a clutch factor in him than Drew Locke or Teddy Bridgewater combined. Um, so I think that, I mean, it's reasonable to say that this team last year could have easily won 10 or 11 games. Um, but again, so many variables in there um, that they could end up winning more, um, could have applied more pressure to a team like the Baltimore Ravens who kind of ran away with it, um, or uh, the what was it, the Pittsburgh Steelers who ended up having a close game there towards the – a little bit closer game than this. Uh, game wasn't as close as the score really suggests. Um, so, I mean, Philadelphia Eagles, that's another game. Maybe Philadelphia wasn't able to just run, essentially run all over the defense and run the clock out, had to be more passing because you have Russell Wilson there. Um, so definitely hard to say for sure, but I think 10 or 11 games is definitely a possibility. Travis Weber came in with some more stars saying, thank you, Luke, for coming on. It was a great, pro or a great podcast. Thank you, Luke, for coming on and giving us fans your insight. Have a good night and have a great weekend. Broncos country, let's ride. And definitely, I mean, it's a holiday weekend, um, so everybody may, needs to make sure that they stay safe, don't drink and drive, uh, and uh, take care of yourselves. Um, but uh, got a, just a, about a minute or two left on this um, before we actually have to fully wrap it up. Um, and real quick, um, Chase Wallander says, not just to change the subject, but I was curious how Luke felt about trying Browning at Edge. It's not the post most popular move for some. Um, last time, I think you had a question about Baron Browning from Lance. Um, I, is it safe to assume that you haven't been able to really go in and look into it at all? To... Yeah, truthfully, I, I haven't watched him really at all since then. Um, I think, I think when you, you make that move and just to kind of briefly sum up what I said last time, I think you kind of make that move more or less for the, for the rationale that you think he's a good enough athlete to do both. And you don't think that moving him to one stunts his development at the other. The other thing that I don't know if I necessarily said a lot last time about was, kind of by moving him to that other position, you can give him a different picture and a different window on the defense, right? So now he gets more of a better sense of the overall structure of the defense because he's seen it from multiple angles. I think that can be helpful. Do I think that's a game changer? No, absolutely not. But I do think that can help a young guy at times. Now, the key there is, do you, you know, you don't want to do too much. You don't want to overwhelm him and overload him mentally. So I think there's a, there's a give and a take there for sure. Yeah, and I think one thing, too, that kind of goes unspoken with this is kind of going with back to that the more hats you can wear kind of thing. Um, when it comes down to roster math to get into that final 53, having Baron Browning, who we've seen what he can do at off-ball linebacker, having him given his training at the NFL level to play the edge, it helps with the roster math. Um, it gives them the versatility to play with the numbers between the edge and the off-ball linebacker position a little bit. Um, 
orange colored glasses comes in and says i've only been watching the show for about a year so this is the first time i've seen luke thanks luke for your knowledge it's very enlightening you rock um yeah i mean i've said this before and and i mean everybody loves it when you come on like and we appreciate it um being able to come in and give a uh, coach's perspective a different perspective and sometimes a conflicting per, uh, opinion to what uh, we have on here obviously try not to make it an echo chamber but that can be you know difficult and uh, having you on definitely can help break that echo chamber so we appreciate it i i appreciate you guys keep having me back um honestly it's it's been it's been a pleasure to to keep showing up for these and um apparently you haven't you haven't managed to lose my number yet so <laughs> keep it coming <laughs> See that that's that's the beneficial thing is I don't act I don't think I actually have your number in my phone but I just Facebook like so uh, <laughs> there there are ways to fix that Eric not to worry <laughs> um but we got to wrap it up here real quick um we got you know of course you can develop new drivers I mean we appreciate it normally Lance is here he should be back next week um unfortunately no no all kidding uh Lance is a great dude I'm super happy for him I uh, hope he watches this because Lance mom sincere congratulations for getting married man i hope you have a wonderful life with your soon-to-be wife um you can follow the Valley divers pod at on twitter at dvdd underscore pod got it correctly this time um on first try uh that's where you guys get all the information when it comes to the Valley deep divers you guys can also follow the mothership the account the the you know the one that we all descend from or however you want to put it at mile high huddle it's where you guys get access to any kind of mile high mile high huddle news including the upcoming change on saturday nights where the mile high insiders nick and luke will be moving to wednesday nights um, i believe tomorrow is their final show on saturday night so make sure you guys tune into that and send them out with a bang um but you guys can you know make sure you're following the mile high huddle account um it also gives you access to all of the written content that we put up I'm currently doing my player profiles. I know Lance has been working on some film pieces. Um, you get access to all of Luke's great content, all of, um, not Luke Poglace, you know, he doesn't write anymore, uh, but Luke Patterson, Nick Kendall, um, all the breaking news from Chad and Zach coming down down the, pop line, the pipeline, you guys can get access to that through the My Line Huddle account. You guys can go huddleuppod.com to, you know, the merch store. You guys can go get some awesome shirts like the Dove Valley Deep Diver shirt. Um, you can get your Broncos for breakfast mug. Um, I believe there's a onesie for babies. There's the other mugs, plenty of hats. I mean, all sorts of stuff. I don't have my Dove LED drivers hat in here at the moment, but you guys can also get that. Um, make sure you guys go to facebook.com slash pod and give a follow there and go and to Apple podcasts and leave your, leave the huddle up pods, a five-star review for a chance to win some, um, some merchandise. And then of course, if you guys, um, aren't able to, but you guys have um, uh, financially, especially through the time with times going as being as difficult as they are, you guys can, you know, natural way to help the show is subscribing, liking, and sharing. Um, word of mouth is such a big way to help grow shows like this. I mean, just getting a positive review. That's why we ask you guys to go leave reviews. It helps us show a ton. Subscribing helps the show a ton, helps us get in front of more eyeballs and helps us grow the show. As I said, um, so we appreciate all of your guys' support. We appreciate you guys tuning in day in, day out, week in, week out, um, consistently and, you know, always asking the questions, leading to some wonderful football chats. Um, but before we get out of here, Luke, any final words? No, again, just just thank you for, for the opportunity for me to come on. Um, the more I come on, the more it feels like I, I like every single player I talk about. 
Um, and again, I think that goes back into seeing things from a coach's perspective and saying, all right, what can we get out of this player? So always happy to be the uh, the naysayer in the room, even if I'm the one saying yay. So no, but seriously, thank you for, for the opportunity to come on. Appreciate it every time. And um, thanks for everyone for tuning in and, and asking some great questions. Yeah, before you get busy, we'll have to try to get you on again, maybe get you uh... – get get it to where you can actually watch you know some of the rams and uh, some of the some of the stuff there and maybe watch a little bit of the broncos last year so you can kind of speak about potential changes with the defensive scheme and stuff like that and get a coach's perspective on that because honestly right now nick myself all of us at mhh we're just kind of grasping at straws at what we believe and what the projection is going to be using using what the what um Edgero Evero, Nathaniel Hackett, and the other coaching staff, what other others on the coaching staff have said to make an assumption about the defensive scheme. But guys, that's going to wrap it up for the Valley Deep Divers tonight. We will be back next week again with Lance. Um, it's a holiday weekend, so as I said, stay safe. Um, don't drink and drive. You know, Make sure you take care of yourselves. Make sure you protect, protect those around you. And you know what? Um, Nick always says, you know, kind has his mantra at the end of spread kindness and everything like that but uh, you know sometimes people are struggling out there and if you guys know anybody struggling reach out if you happen to be struggling yourself uh mentally or whatever i'm always here my twitters are open um it can be difficult to reach out but it's always worth doing so thank you guys and have a wonderful night and a wonderful weekend You've been listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going. College can be expensive, but saving now can help your students save later. Give your child's college savings a boost by registering for a chance at a $1,000 savings plan deposit for 6th through 12th graders. Sign up today at iowastudentloan.org slash register. Not long ago, everyone knew that you're either born a boy or a girl. Not anymore. The Biden administration is pushing radical gender experiments on children, changing their names, clothes, identities, and bodies. Joe Biden and his left-wing allies pushed boys to take estrogen to appear more feminine. They pushed girls to take testosterone so they grow facial hair. Biden and progressive leaders promote puberty blockers to keep kids from developing to normal men and women. These drugs can leave you sterile, infertile, impotent. Joe Biden and the new left even promote surgery on teens and young adults, removing breasts and genitals. They want boys in our daughters' bathrooms and sports teams. And now, the Biden administration is planning to issue new rules that would force doctors to prescribe dangerous drugs and worse. Tell Joe Biden and left-wing leaders across America, hands off our kids. Paid for by America First Legal.